Ooh. Now I'm so curious, you're driving me crazy. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining us for this third episode of 119, a Twin Peaks podcast. Once again, I am Nick, and I am joined, of course, by Dylan. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm going. How are you? <sighs> Same. I'm excited to talk about this episode because it's really, really good. Oh, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites of the season. Yeah, I think this is really the point at which the season really kicks into high gear. Like, this is the point at which the plot proper really just starts get going in a serious way. Yeah, similar to with the original run, with the third episode being we, the first time you see the Red Room, and uh, sort of what what you're really in for begins to come, become clear. It's similar with, with the return. Yeah, a lot of the characters and concepts that get introduced in this episode are ones that are going to continue most notably Dougie, uh, which we will, of course, talk about. Yeah, this was really the episode at which I think, for me, I knew that this show was doing something really special. Like, it's just, there are just certain concepts that are introduced here that are so outlandish and unexpected that I got really excited watching it. Yeah, I think I got really heavy Eraserhead vibes the first time I saw it. Uh, with like the sort of the the slabs of concrete in the mob zone and a lot of the uh, just a lot of the the way even Dougie acts is similar to that very like slow methodic uh, like Jack Nance and, and Eraserhead and just overall I think that this episode like like you said introduces a lot of concepts that that carry on throughout the the return that I I actually wasn't privy to i don't think the first time around no i'm noticing so many more things especially with the numerology but um we'll talk about that as it comes up yeah and i never really thought about the uh connection to jack nance's character in Eraserhead with respect to dougie it's a, it's a good catch yeah i don't know if it's if it's meant to be that or if it was just the the aesthetic of uh of the mob zone and just the otherworldliness of it all uh just it reminded me of Eraserhead. Yeah, and just sort of this, like, stunted presence in the midst of a, uh, you know, like a domestic life. Um, yeah. That we'll, that we'll see Doug in later. All right, so let's dive into the episode proper. This is Twin Peaks The Return Part 3, Call for Help. Congratulations, sir. You are a mega winner. You've just won two mega jackpots for a total of $28,400. It's much more than these quarters. Call for help. Oh, well, that's what I'm here for. Let me get you a bigger bucket. So the first thing we see here is Cooper falling through, you know, what looks like outer space. It's basically the same shot that we see repeated from episode two when he falls through the floor of the red room. And he lands on a balcony overlooking a vast purple ocean. It's a really, really beautiful shot, I think. It's the background to my phone and has been for like a year. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just a really, really great image. Um, 
And so this is the first time we get to a space that, through my internet research, I've seen referred repeatedly as uh, the Move Zone. Um, just fine, I guess. I I don't know why why purple wasn't good enough. I guess it just wasn't wasn't fancy enough. I always thought that like internet. yeah, Move is. I always thought Move was redder than uh, than we see in this zone, but I'll I'll roll with it. I I don't even know what Move is. Like this is this is my introduction to the color Move. Like I just I'm taking everybody's word for it. I remember it from an episode of Hey Arnold where they had uh, they had like a go kart or uh, some sort of like <laughs> they had to make their like homemade little go karts. They were having a race, and one of them was called the Move Storm, and everyone made fun <laughs> everyone made fun of the guy because of how stupid the name was. Wow. Yep. I, I did not expect Hey Arnold to make an appearance on this podcast. Expect but... the unexpected. Yeah, exactly. Twin Peaks. So this space, this quote unquote move zone, we know that it's it's the same it's the same plane of existence as the fireman's house that we see in part eight. I don't know like I don't know what the significance of, of that connection is. I don't even know if if uh, we're meant to read into the fact that it is the same place, but it, we do see in part eight that long, slow push from the ocean onto the the, the tower there. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. Think, if, sorry, if we take ahead. that the if we take that the ocean is yeah what is uh, I guess connecting the space, then I would say that that's probably the case that it's the same as the the fireman's mm-hmm. house or white lodge or whatever. But what confused me, which we'll get to, is when they go out through the top and all of a sudden they're in that space again and not uh, surrounded by an ocean. Very confusing. Okay. Sorry about that folks. Just had a bit of a technical issue there, but uh, we're, we're back on track. So we see Cooper fall into the space and he opens, I think it's a window right into Nido's house. Yep. Comes in through the, through this little shuttered window. Right. And uh, this is our introduction to Nido, who we know from Part 17 is actually Diane. Which a lot of people called, I guess. Yeah, it was, I think, by the end of Part 16, it was kind of apparent. Some people had guessed it before then, just based on the fact that Nido is close to Diane in terms of spelling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, Diane backwards, essentially. Yeah, or switch out the vowel or whatever you want. Sure. And when Diane's Tulpa breaks down in part 16, she starts saying, you know, I'm not me, I'm in the sheriff's station, etc. Which, at that point, we know that Nido has been taken to the sheriff's station by Andy after being found at Jackrabbit's palace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Diane is Nato, Nato is Diane. And we know that this is Mr. C's doing somehow. We know that Mr. C is the one who brought Diane above the convenience store and trapped Diane there. Now, it raises some interesting questions, namely why Mr. C did this. In my research about tulpas, as far as their origins in Tibetan mythology, the source of the tulpa needs to be kept alive in order for the tulpa to survive. 
So if we're thinking that maybe Elish and Frost are going by the Tibetan mythology, then that might be a reason why Diane is kept alive in this state. Right, she's like put there so that uh, he can have the Tulpa go about doing his bidding while Nido is stuck blinded in the mauve zone. Yeah, he's basically just imprisoned her here without sight, without the ability to speak. Um, right. But I, I think that we might be able to read another layer into it, which is that possibly Nido is here to assist in helping Cooper get to the real world, where we know Mr. C really wants to kill him. We see Nido sort of run her hands along Cooper's face, and we can maybe assume that the Diane in her is able to recognize the fact that it is Cooper, and perhaps that might motivate her to help him, not knowing that Mr. C's ultimate plan is to is to have him killed. Right, and so the the little uh, thing on the wall that that Cooper sees that he's about to go into uh, has the number three on it, and Nido, from when she identifies him, inst- seems to clearly be instructing him not to go into that one with the three. It has fifteen um, on it at first. Um, I thought it was oh maybe it's the opposite then. So it has yeah. fifteen, and then three is at the last one. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so it says fifteen, uh, and she instructs him not to, and then later on the one that he does go into uh has bears number three so i don't know if that's uh maybe mr c's plan was to have him go into that first one and then when nido identified him she warned him and then flicked the switch or whatever she did next yeah or maybe mr c actually needed her to flip that switch and that's why that's the whole reason that she's there is to do that oh yeah either either is uh is good enough for me at this point yeah, and I think we might be able to read into the, the idea that there's a little bit of a that there's a little bit of a joke going on here with the numbers three and fifteen, you know, due mm-hmm. to the fact that we see Dougie wake up in part three in this episode and then electrocute himself and go into a coma in part fifteen. And the uh, key that he pulls out from the Great Northern is for room number three fifteen. Yes. Which is when he, you know, obviously that's how he avoids being assassinated. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, yep, a lot of a lot of numbers at play here. Uh, as I'd say, al- they're as hardly coincidental. The no, no, nothing is nothing is ever a coincidence here. So we see Cooper and Nido climb up a ladder outside of their house, and they end up in again what looks like outer space and we see that the space that they crawl out of is impossibly small and does not match at all the size that we see um, when they're inside and there's a big object on top of the box that we will see again it is the same object that beckons the firemen to go and view the birth of bob oh okay i I knew it looked familiar and i was like does that look like philip jeffries but (laughs) not quite so i guess guess that's where we're yeah i think philip philip jeffries is he's a different sort of thing than those two yeah like if you yeah yeah. if you really look at him you know obviously he has the spout and everything like that but i think he's he's a similar shape but i think we're meant to understand that he's a different he's a different thing 
Yeah, so, I think so too. So yeah, we see that object, and you know that's that's another connection between this space and the fireman's house. So she touches this object. She's apparently electrocuted and flies away. Um, at which point we see something quite unexpected, which is Major Briggs' head. My boy, my boy Briggs. Our guy, Major Briggs, one of my absolute favorite characters. I was just so, so, you know, in all my bafflement, I was really excited just to see uh, Don Davis's head in this episode. I was hoping so bad he was going to say something. And then (laughs) when it just (laughs) echoes blue rose, I was like, oh my God, that's fucking perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I don't believe he ever says blue rose in the series because I think blue rose was something that was introduced with Firewalk with me. So I think that they probably just like spliced together some audio and slowed it down to make it sound like he kind of sort of said blue rose. Oh yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, his head floats by, which sort of jives a little bit with what we hear from Bill Hastings, I believe in part nine, when he gives his whole big expository meltdown to Tammy. He says that when he and Ruth go to the zone, they see the major and they see his head float off from his body, mm. which will, which would make sense because uh, we see obviously the major's head here and then we'll see it one more time in part 17 when mr c gets temporarily trapped in the fireman's house and we just see uh briggs's head just sort of floating off to the side there we know that major briggs has uh, a certain amount of knowledge of all the the lodge goings on he's we can assume he's probably up he's probably up on mr c's plan to a certain extent and Blue Rose might be his way of signaling to Cooper that he has a tulpa out there, you know. Sure, right. That right, would right. be my guess. So yeah, so Cooper sees Major Briggs, just kind of just kind of stares at him, does nothing, you know, like you do. I don't I don't know how you're supposed to react to a situation like that. Uh, it's basically what I did. I'm just like okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Next, I, th- I think Cooper was all of us in that moment. Uh, so yeah, he just he crawls back in the box. Uh, at which point, like we mentioned, the device on the wall has switched to the number three. I believe this is also the point at which we see uh, the American girl, correct? Yes, right. Yeah, and we know this, uh... Uh, we know that this is actually the same actress who played Ronette Pulaski um, from the original series. I don't really know what to make of this. It's obviously not an accident that the same actress was cast. Perhaps maybe we can infer that maybe Bob influencing Mr. C came back and killed Ronette on sort of an unfinished business type of thing. Um, Could be. Possibly dragged her back here. Maybe Ronette has a tulpa out there somewhere. Who knows? Yeah, it could be anything. Um, It could just be that... Perhaps they just wanted to work with with the actress again, and uh, not in in the capacity of the role of Ronette. Um, but either way, uh, the when the appearance of that character uh, in her sort of speaking role and giving the instruction, um, that one threw me for a loop as well. <laughs> uh, as it was well with everything in this whole scene. But I don't know if I, I 
not sure if it's supposed to be Rondetta or not. It doesn't s- look like her, I guess. Um, mm. At least, I mean, I know it's 25 years later, but you know, even uh, I, I didn't know that it, it was the same actress until I found out on the internet later. No, I didn't either. Um, I didn't piece it together, but now looking at it, you can see sort of like, oh, it's 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 the same face. Yeah, it could be the aspects of everyone that, like you said, that Bob had hurt, or uh, maybe it's just some like some shade or some memory in this zone. Who knows? Right. Yeah, and it's worth noting when Cooper comes back down here that it's no longer all purple, purple and and stop starty. I think we forgot to mention the fact that when Cooper first meets Nido, everything is filmed in this sort of choppy stop start fashion which I know caused a lot of people who were watching on streaming to actually think that there was something wrong with their connection, which is kind of funny. Yeah, if the audio didn't sync up, I think I might have been confused about that as well. But yeah, I don't know if that was supposed to be some sort of indication that uh, time is not proceeding the way that we would normally expect it to. Uh, Things are are slippery in here, as Philip (laughs) Jeffrey says. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something like that. That's how I read it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's a really um, it's just a really good disorienting effect. Also, oh yeah, I love it. You know. That's what I signed up for. Yep, yep, absolutely. And Rana is very concerned. She tells Cooper, "When you get there, you will already be there. You'd better hurry. My mother is coming." And there is a very loud banging on the door outside. A lot of people have sort of concluded that the banging is coming from the experiment aka judy i don't i don't to be honest i don't really know why people think that i mean do do you have have any sense of why those why those entities might be the same or well i think for one it's like if we have a big bad evil guy um anything sort of negative will get attached to that idea but i don't know if it's because of the just the term mother and if like what we've seen from the birth of bob indicates anything about the experiment as a mother um that's sort of the only reason that i would have to do it other than that it's it's not totally clear that it's judy and uh the other thing that is on the door that they keep showing is this these two like white splotches and they keeps showing this shot over and over and over again. And I don't know what the fuck it is, but I feel like it's significant. And <laughs> I feel like it's a clue that I'm not at all picking up on. Mm. But I don't know about but it being uh, Judy, the only other than, like I was talking about, just the, the phrase mother. I guess the only other real piece of evidence would be the fact that we see Judy enter the glass box after Cooper. So maybe we can possibly conclude that she is in addition to whatever else she's doing she's chasing cooper through this space as well um yeah yeah so yeah i don't know i'm I'm not really convinced that it's judy but i I guess it could be um you know why not (laughs) so when cooper is getting sucked through the device on the wall here there's uh, a very funny effect where he's sort of stretched out and elongated he sort of gets a gumby head for a minute mm-hmm. yeah yeah and kyle just has this totally like wide-eyed bewildered look on his face it's just 
just another example I enjoy of of Lynch directing his actors to play things really, really broad. Yeah, same with when uh, there's a point where Nido is trying to communicate something to Cooper when they're on the roof of the box, uh, and Cooper just sort of gives her this look like, yeah, I got, I got nothing. I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea what you're saying. Like he just sort of like looks at her and shakes his head a, like a little bit. Um, so I mean, so many things could be said about Kyle MacLachlan's acting in this uh, series and the the range and how ridiculously well he blends into the show as multiple characters that you do not think of as the same person. Um, but yet, yeah, even those those little facial expressions and and what he manages to achieve as Dougie. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, he he really goes for it. Like whatever Lynch tells him to do, he just he uh, he plows straight ahead, and uh, there there's not never an ounce of hesitation in Kyle. I don't think. So, man. So now we come to a sequence that I call the switch, which is just sort of the whole Dougie being sucked back into the lodge in Mister C's place. And Cooper being brought back into the real world. This whole sequence with Mr. C flipping his car and vomiting Garmin Bosia all over the place. And our introduction to the real Dougie Jones where we see the owl cavering. I gotta say, during this whole sequence, I the first time watching this, I was just ascending to the fucking heavens like i was so happy during all of this it is just so absolutely insane it's so yeah it's so goddamn good and like i've watched it a lot of times and just the way that it's edited together is just so so good yeah it's seamless it it really like watching it a second time and a third time through uh just just how how the cuts go from from um, like from Mr. C driving like white knuckle holding in his puke, uh, <laughs> then just like smash cut to just the most like boring man on earth hanging out with a hooker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but just... it's it's a third version of Kyle McLaughlin, which is just like we take it for granted now, but like we had no idea that was going to happen the first time. You know, it was just like, what the hell is going on? And that mop top he's got is so ridiculous that I wasn't even sure it was Kyle McLaughlin at first. I was like, is this? Is this a trick? Is this Kyle? What's happening? Um, but, yeah, this whole sequence and, um, and the 253 or the 253 uh, connection as well, like that one was hanging over my head for most of the season. Um, it's like, why is everything adding up to 253? What the hell? Um, but, yeah, just the way that this whole thing goes down is one of my favorite sequences in the whole return yeah and i i love there's just a lot of really i think clever and inspired use of the twin peaks iconography here his physical reaction to being pulled back into the lodge or at least trying to be pulled back into the lodge is to just puke garmin bosia because we know that the lodge beings subsist on this stuff mm-hmm. and it just sort of follows logically that they would puke it up you know like it's just it's just uh, and the thing with the owl cavering too where we see his arm go numb and which i i believe happens to laura palmer in firewalk with me it's just it's incorporating all of these all of these symbols from the show and just recontextualizing them in just a really 
extremely heightened and unexpected way that I just find totally amazing. I think the Mr. C like pedal to the metal flying through the desert, just the roar of that engine. It does create like a sense of adrenaline while you're watching it. It coupled with the excitement. At least the first time of like, what the, what's about to happen? Like, is this, are we going to get Cooper back? Uh, is this whole thing going to be, it's going to be resolved. Like, um, and then I think the puking of Garmin Boji, I thought about that and I wonder if it has anything to do with, um, like, was there a loss of sustenance on Mr. C's part or was that like a, like a rejection of, uh, like his lodge, uh, I don't know, like his bindings to the lodge or whatever, or is it just purely, um, the physical result? of him trying to not get a try, like him being pulled between worlds. Yeah, I just sort of think of it as just like a result of like the 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 physical stress of like the lodge trying to pull him back, you know, mm-hmm. and him resisting it. And I also just love he just keeps glaring at the cigarette lighter in the car too. And you just you hear the electricity buzzing insanely on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Just like, just incessantly with the buzzing, and he's just like, he just keeps looking at the cigarette lighter, like, holy shit, you know what I mean? Like, and he's yep. just got his mouth covered, and he knows the Garmin Bose is coming, and he's trying to hold it in, and it's just, oh man, and he's just, he's, he's just super sweaty too. Like, it's just a really, like, Lynch loves a vomit, you know, and in fact, <laughs> we actually see Dougie do a little bit of vomiting himself. Um, we sure do. Yeah, and his his note his uh Dougie's vomiting is a little bit different. It it's like solid. It looks like he pukes out. It's it's almost like cat vomit. I was gonna say it's like dog food. Yeah, <laughs> wet food. Yeah, super weird. Um, uh, I think what is it? Part eleven with the the zombie kid in the car. Uh, oh, one another. of the weirdest scenes like, <laughs> ever. Yeah, just just another. Just another totally classic moment. So, yeah, so Mr. C successfully avoids being pulled back into the lodge. Uh, it's a little scary for him. Uh, he sees the red curtains in his vision sort of fade in and out. Um, yeah, and then he then he just passes out. And later we see some highway patrolmen come by and, and find his car and they're so just massively disgusted by the scene and the smell of the Garmin Bosia that like one of them is just doubled over on the floor. It's great. Yeah, it knocks his ass right out. <laughs> Which I suppose is what uh the sum total of like human suffering and anguish <laughs> would smell like. It probably would knock you on your ass, especially in the middle of a hot desert, like yeah. high noon or or uh whatever time it was. Yeah. Three, almost three o'clock. Shit. No, thank you. Yeah, and it also, sorry to just be so obsessed with the vomit here, but I, I just tell me more about the vomit. I want to yeah. know more. Yeah, let, let's let's talk some more about the puke. So, it looks like in addition to the Garmin Bosia, there's some like really dark liquid as well, mm-hmm. and I always thought that maybe it was like the scorched engine oil. That was my read on that, like from oh, from Glastonbury Grove. I don't like. I have no way of doing that. Maybe it's just supposed to be like. Like just like bile or what have you, but I, I always I always like to think that it's the it's the engine oil. Um, we'll go with that because it's perfectly gross and it's thematically fitting. Yeah, 
Okay, so I promise I've gotten all my thoughts about puke out for this episode for this the time being. Though. Yeah, just this one. Huh? <sighs> all right, so man, so much happening here. We... No, the owl cave. Oh, okay, you got no, no, here. go ahead, go ahead. I'm gonna say the owl cavering on Dougie. Um, I'm sure that there is a source explaining this, um, but I have not read it. So, but can we conclude that one way or another, Mr. C tricked Dougie into wearing the owl cave ring? Yeah, I think we have to assume that. It's hard to know how exactly Mr. C would convince him to keep the ring on all that time. Maybe mm. he just somehow told Dougie to be wearing this ring at a certain point. Who, who knows how much contact he actually has had with Dougie over the years, but it's obvious that this owl cave ring was a crucial part of his plan. Um, and it's, it's related in some way to Diane, which I can't remember exactly. The the ring? Well, Janie E. and Dougie. Isn't Janie E. Diane's sister or sister yeah, or something like that? Yeah, according to Diane's tulpa, she does... She does drop the little the little bit of trivia that she and Diane are half sisters, which that's to me that's one of the weirdest things of the entire series. I have no idea what to make of that. So before we see Dougie with the owl cave ring, where is the last place that we see it in Twin Peaks? Do you know? <sighs> um, I thought it was well, in the black. Well, box. we we see in. The missing pieces, I believe. The nurse who's tending to Annie Blackburn, she mm-hmm. she takes the ring, and she's the last person we actually see with the ring. Now, okay. if you so want, yeah. So if you want to take Mark Frost's book into account, then right. there's a whole bunch more stuff that you could read into there. But gotcha, uh, including Donald Trump being in possession of the Alcave ring. Yeah, you told me that, and I thought you were—I thought you were making a joke. Oh I was no! Like, oh, it's, oh, I was like, how ridiculous could it really be? You're like, no, that's a serious, like, actual yeah. detail. Yeah. Look. Huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Why would you involve that name with this uh, cool thing that I like? Because Trump is bad, and the Black Lodge is bad, and oh the, shit, how did I not see that? Yeah, and the ring is a symbol of the Black Lodge, therefore Black Lodge equals Trump. I don't—I don't know, man. Don't, We're living in the Black me. Lodge. I just some I, sort of something. I just, I just, I just want to escape Trump for two seconds here, Frost. Can, can yeah. we? Can we do that? Let's do that. Anyways, so <clears throat> somehow or another, the ring is in Dougie's possession. He gets sucked away in a uh, in a uh, hilariously cheap effect, as we've discussed before, mm-hmm. into the lodge. And he's sitting there. You mentioned the mop top that he's wearing. It, it, he he seems very like I don't know, like late sixties, early seventies to me. Just this old yeah, getup, that, that sport coat thing. Yeah, he's very uh, he's very deeply unfashionable. I would say. Yeah, agreed. And um, so he's there, and he meets Mike. <laughs> he says, yep. uh, "He says someone manufactured you for a purpose." But it looks like that purpose has been fulfilled, something along those lines. And, uh, which is, you know, it's actually surprising how much pure explanation we get at points in this show. Because in the original show, 
like there was nothing even remotely this explanatory that happened in the red room no it was, the red room was almost like like a little treat that you got uh in certain episodes without really any exposition at all yeah uh, and i think it's inclusion as just another spot in twin peaks uh throughout the return has really it's deepened my appreciation for it um and a lot of like the musical accompaniment too like the the reverb little cool like surf guitar chord that it plays mm-hmm. when it shows the the curtain sometimes um but yeah mike mike also enjoys apparently staring confusedly <laughs> whenever something doesn't go exactly as planned which i assume mm-hmm. um, i assume he wasn't expecting dougie there um probably not no yeah so yeah and just just another note while we're here about the the red room this space in the original series was a lot more sensuous a lot more dreamlike and it just seems that in this season it has way more of a cold and alien vibe do you do you get that feeling as well yeah it's almost like it's yeah the dreaminess isn't there so much anymore and i think that may just be an evolution of the idea of the red room Um, perhaps just started obviously as something that cooper accesses in his dream and then has since become this uh this space or this landscape or whatever it is but it does have it almost has a uh it has more of a sense of a purpose i think this time around or maybe even the characters within the red room have more of a sense of purpose because there's clearly this plan that is being executed throughout the season um that mike is in on and that laura palmer obviously had something to do with and that the arm and the evolution of the arm and it doppelganger had something to do with so there's way more um i don't know there's way more content but i agree with you that it's it it is more cold and um uh naked naked's the word i have to use it's just like there's mm-hmm. no there's no social anything there's no uh it's not human beings interacting as human beings interact it's this very uh rigid sort of um i don't know it's like it's like being stuck in the k-hole i guess (laughs) so dougie transforms into a little gold ball that i think we can safely refer to as the seed as that is what we hear cooper refer to it as in part 16 when he tells mike uh do you have the seed uh, I need you to make another one when he's referring to manufacturing a, yet another tulpa. So just kind of interesting, just a little little bit of insight into the uh, yep. the mechanics of the Red Room. Yeah, I think this is this is the exposition that we weren't we're not getting throughout the original run of uh, like how do, like what are the nuts and bolts of how this stuff works. And I, for one, really really appreciated it in this this go around because like i've said many times that that aspect of twin peaks has always been what really drew me in um just that aesthetic of the red room and that was when i really knew i loved the show and that i was gonna probably follow it and be a fan of it for a long time was when i saw episode three of season one so to get um just any sort of explanation even especially just like visual explanations like that because the first time seeing all that stuff when his head explodes into smoke and uh his hand shrinks and the owl cave ring falls and then there's like a what is it? it's like an egg and then something flies into the top of the egg and then it smashes uh which is similar looking to some of, i don't know if you've seen it some of david lynch's um 
like short films that he's made or these yep. like weird little art films that have mm-hmm. a lot of that same iconography. But just seeing how seeing it from a I don't know, it's like the red room behind the scenes. <laughs> what we're what's going on there when there's not like um the main character. Uh like it's not just through their narrative. It's just like this is what's happening here at this moment. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it too. I, I find generally that the more insight that we get it doesn't really dampen the mystery for me at all. Like if you were to tell me on paper that we would find out all this stuff about how the red room works, I would probably say like, I I don't want to know all that stuff, but I I just, I really enjoy just the comings and goings that, that that we see take place in the red room in season three. Yeah. It's important. I think that we're not being told anything. We're just being shown a lot. And so therefore there's not necessarily a concrete explanation of everything that's happening, um, which I think is consistent with why I enjoy the show and how, and how I enjoy it. Right. Just by watching it. Right. Like we definitely get a more explicit connection between the Alcave ring, between the Alcave ring and the red room, for example, but we still don't really know what it is or where it came from or what it does. We just, right. we see it in action. But if you ask me to give, a concise explanation of how it functions you still couldn't do it and same with the tulpas and all that sort of stuff so yeah when it seems obvious like well if someone dies wearing the ring then they go into the the black lodge it's like okay but dougie doesn't die (laughs) yeah he's just or maybe he does but he's just there one minute and then gone the next so Yeah. yeah we don't know yeah and so we see um dougie here he's with this prostitute named jade and i love jade i think she's she's great she's probably the closest thing that we get to a normal person on this show honestly yeah uh she's the first person that throws shade at dougie so i'm sure there's a lot of people who identify with her (laughs) as a normal person yeah and her what the fuck's this guy's deal yeah and she just the way that she kind of berates him a little bit or I don't know. She she seems like she has uh, a certain amount of affection towards Dougie. Like she probably this definitely isn't her first experience with him, and so she she seems to have a little bit of patience with him. But she is like sort of like like what the fuck, Dougie? What are you doing? Put on your shoes. Let's go. Like she has probably the closest thing to a real world reaction to Dougie uh, out of anybody that we see throughout the show. I would say she. She does, but in in it, and it's a bend but don't break scenario with respect to how everyone treats Dougie and how I think you're supposed to like read into everyone like treating Dougie and how he has the sort of being there. Peter Sellers, just every step he takes is going to be perfect um, because I don't know for whatever reason, no one questions how ridiculous he is to the point of uh, ev- like other than just shaking their head and accepting it, um, like to the point where. I mean, she could have just, she could have just left. Like she could have just drove home. Like that was sort of what she was going to do. Um, she could have just left him at his front door with no shoes on. But obviously, yeah. she had some compel. She was compelled in some way to, uh, you know, go get his shoes, put his shoes on, walk him to the car, get him into the car, presumably, um, give him five bucks to call for help. Who knows? And then she does curiously repeat one of Lara's lines, which. I don't know if this is all supposed to just sort of be planned. Who knows? Oh, you mean the you can go out now thing? 
you can go out now and just the way everything happens um which which we're about to get into um yeah so <laughs> just uh, l- let's just talk generally about Dougie for a second here because we're going to talk a lot about Dougie over the course of the season obviously how do you just just like big picture how do you feel about Dougie Jones in this show and maybe Lynch and Frost's purpose behind this whole conceit? Well, I think Dougie Jones is the another antithesis to Agent Cooper. Um, whereas if like we invert all of his uh, all of his extreme qualities on the good side, we get Mister C. If we sort of remove uh, or maybe invert them in a different way so that his charisma just becomes a, a banality and his um, his quick action becomes a uh, just this like slow drone of an existence. Um, maybe that's like where like the, the, th- the theme comes from. But as far as like what they're trying to maybe say with it is who knows? It could be co- uh, commentary on reboots and you know what happens if you try to take something out of time and stick it into this new time will it will it snap right back into place or will this be there will there be this ridiculous period of adjustment um and maybe dougie is that period of adjustment yeah the dougie thing is probably the defining feature of this season for a lot of people i think it was certainly the thing that gave people the most consternation over the course of the season and I think it was probably the ballsiest move that Lynch and Frost made, honestly. This decision to deny us the Cooper that we, we know and instead give him this to- give us this totally like blank slate. I think that a lot of what you said about Dougie in part being a commentary on the nature of reboots and the impossibility of coming back to a character after 25 years, especially when he's been trapped in the lodge. I think all of that rings very true. But I also just generally think that these scenes are fucking hilarious. <laughs> they are. They're, they're just they're I, so funny. And that that's probably the reason why, especially on rewatch, I really do think that the whole Dougie thing is probably the like the greatest masterstroke of the show, in my opinion, because I think it just contains so much. I think that there's just a lot of pathos to read into it as far as Cooper being given this bizarro second chance at a normal life. You know, we, we never get to see Cooper... Um, have a wife or a kid Mm -hmm. and this is like his way of experiencing that that sort of thing but also i just think that all of these scenes like really almost all of the scenes with dougie just have this (laughs) really incredible comic timing and kyle you could just tell that he and frost and lynch are just having an absolute blast with this yeah, the, him walking into and walking into glass panes and burning his tongue on coffee and uh, <laughs> classic like slapstick shit that 
that works because of the timing, like you're saying. Yeah, and I gotta say, um, I definitely appreciated the comedy of it more on rewatch because I think the first time you watch the show, all of the scenes with Dougie have this real tension where you're wondering, is this when Cooper's gonna come back? You know, you just you want to see Cooper, and you're just you're looking for any sign that this whole Dougie storyline is gonna end and there are a lot of fake outs in that regard some of which happen in this episode like jade repeating laura's line like you mentioned mm-hmm. um but when you watch it again and your your mind is sort of free from that expectation and you know where it's going to go i find that i'm just really able to give myself up to the comedy of it some of these scenes just absolutely slay me (laughs) they're so good i was uh, pretty convinced he wasn't coming back to be honest i thought it was gonna be dougie the entire time yeah i at a certain point yeah so i thought that cooper would come back but only because i had seen some of the promotional materials where it looked like we saw cooper in his suit with his faculties together now of course now of course we know that pretty much all that stuff was from part 18 so it wasn't exactly true, but yeah, I, I I kind of felt like if we got Cooper back, it wouldn't be until like maybe literally like the last like 20 minutes of the series. Um, yeah. I, I just kind of accepted that. I think probably around like episode 12 or 13, I just kind of gave up on the whole notion of Cooper coming back altogether and just really tried to... Uh, appreciate what Lynch and Frost were trying to accomplish with the whole Dougie conceit. I remember going into it thinking there's just no way it's going to be um, like, you know, like season one, like it's not going to be agent Cooper trying to solve a mystery. There's Mm -hmm. like, I just, there was no way I was expecting that. Not that I was expecting like a catatonic man, baby, but um, I was not, you know, I, I didn't see it coming, but I was not sort of shocked by how weird it was and how slow it was. And I think I was out of, out of that. Like it was almost like I had respect for it as an idea. And uh, even through the fake outs, uh, I just thought they were so good. Like I thought they, you know, it was very clear what was being hinted at. And uh, it was cool. It's like a cool game of cat and mouse for me because I happen to enjoy the comedy of Dougie as well. Um, I definitely understand and sympathize with why people were frustrated by it. But I think if you are like just my personal uh, like taste, I love long shots. I love weird meditative kind of uh, like, you know, these long sticky shots almost. And you got so much of that with Dougie and then um, a lot of payoff with with like with the timing of um, some of his mannerisms are just like. Like him, like the shot of him sl- very slowly walking into a glass pane is like it's beautiful. Like it's like it's so fucking funny. It's like it hits every note. Um, and but then also him uh, when he finally does start to wake up and he has the fork and he's staring at the outlet and and there's uh whatever it is playing on the television, um, Sunset Boulevard, right? Um. Which actually, I'm pretty sure I watched Sunset Boulevard like in between. Um, like I was like, "Oh, that's that movie," and I watched it like that week for mm-hmm. the first time. Mm-hmm. But um, even that scene, it had like a, it has this beautiful tension to it. Um, 
that I think by that point you're desensitized to the fake outs enough so that when it finally does come through, it was like, oh shit, like what's about to happen? But yeah, um, even when Cooper actually woke up in the hospital bed, I just kept waiting for like, what's the catch here? Like, yeah. is he gonna wake up and then like someone's gonna run in, run in and like shoot him in the head or something? <laughs> like, I just, yeah, I just kept right. waiting for the other shoe to drop and. uh you know, it was nothing that extreme, but yeah, d- good old Dougie Jones. He's a uh, he's a delightful part of the season, in my opinion. And I think that even a lot of people who really resisted him at first are coming around to him now that the show is over. I find at least that's the sense that I get just from from reading people's reactions online. I'd hope so. Yeah, Jade and Dougie leave the house. He doesn't have his shoes. Which uh, hilariously get left back in Naito's house. Yeah. That and, like we mentioned in our first episode, the FBI pin. So, (laughs) So Jade is just totally not having his shit. Doesn't know what's going on. And just wants to get him out of there as soon as possible. So she loads him up in her bright yellow jeep. And uh, that's where we we get the you can go out now, like you mentioned, when they pull up the mm-hmm. silver Mustang. And also another fake out, which is when Cooper sees the street sign for Sycamore Street. And we see just like the briefest of like facial reactions from him in there. And mm-hmm. like we said, we're just going to keep getting these for the next 13 episodes or whatever. And each yeah. and every time it happened, people were convinced that it was going to be the one that was going to wake Cooper up. Those are my favorite threads. My favorite threads every week were like, and here's the reason why Cooper's going to wake up next season or next episode. Yeah. Uh, there are always some sort of because I mean people weren't wrong. There was so much dangling uh, carrots on a stick, and um, and even like I think maybe Jade saying you can go out now. I mean it is it is a weird turn of phrase. Like no one really says that but could just have been another one of those things of like showing you that she's calling him Dougie but this is that you know this is Cooper he has the memories of uh of Laura and the lodge like I don't know if it was just supposed to be him him slowly remembering who he is or getting spatters of memories um or things that sound familiar to him like or look familiar to him like Sycamore right and so pretty much immediately upon them leaving they are being tracked by mr c's hitmen who i think we can safely assume were hired by lorraine who was hired by duncan todd who was hired by mr c and this is all stuff that is very opaque the first time you watch the show but now in rewatching it you can sort of see like oh, okay it's it's actually just this very weird like rube goldberg machine <laughs> of, yeah. of crime so yeah, so the uh, the hitmen they they try to kill Dougie, but in just another very strange sort of slapsticky moment, he drops his room key at just the right moment, and uh, they don't see him in the car, and they don't know that he's there. It's uh, a hilarious little moment too, because there's a very brief shot of a street sign that says "speed bump." Yeah, um, yeah. and then and Dougie s- looks at it. Um, and then they go over the speed bump, which causes them to drop his great northern key, which causes them to not be seen. 
by the hitman which is lent from lending to me um my uh evidence for why i think that there's he's being guided or or there's some plan that's being executed uh with dougie from behind the scenes oh yeah he's there's definitely some lodge force at play assisting dougie which we will see um later on at the silver mustang i think um so yeah so after they drive away one of the hitmen comes up and actually loads dougie's car with explosives just small funny note here dougie's car has a license plate that says dougie lv on it oh my Uh, god (laughs) don't know if that's dougie Dougie. don't know if that's dougie love or dougie las vegas but otherwise that's just a, a great cheesy touch that i like just the spelling of Doug E as D U G E. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they load up his car with explosives while a kid across the street watches it from the window, and his mother, or at least his uh, apparent caretaker, is a drug-addled woman who just repeatedly yells one one nine. She's got good taste, that lady. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know that she has much else going for her, but yeah, she apparently has every drug in existence just on on the table in front of her. Like, there's just all manner of, like, pills and powders and drinks and substances there. I think we can safely assume that, uh, she's having, she's having quite the party by herself. She's got Evan Williams, which, um, I do not recommend. (laughs) Is that, is that what she's drinking? She's drinking Evan Williams, yeah, which is uh, bourbon, and I think really bad bourbon, mm. or at least really bad for me, bourbon. Yeah, and she's using it to wash down some ambiguous blue pill that she swallows. And yeah, this is really, I think we, we check in with the 119 lady a couple different times after this, and this is pretty much all that we see from her, is just her screaming 119, which, as we know, is... You know, it's nine one one backwards. Lodge entities tend to speak backwards. Don't know how much we can draw from that. Also, just another little note uh, in Mark Frost's book, The Final Dossier, all of the case numbers that he talks about end in one one nine as well. So, ooh, okay, yeah, just a, just a neat little touch. I think it's safe to say that David Lynch hates drugs at the very least hates drug culture and what it does to people because this is the first of several instances on the show of drugs being seen as a corroding influence you know she's sort of rotting here in her suburban dwelling while her son is you know bearing witness to all sorts of horrible crimes um yeah and i think for someone who is so into the idea uh, into the practice of meditation and into this sort of system where he allows his thoughts to sort of come to him in whatever way uh, that he does. Like, it's all about this sort of purity of mind or this, uh, like, treating your mind as, like, I don't know, this, like, satellite or conduit for ideas. And so a person like that, um, obviously, like, you, re- who knows if it's because he smokes cigarettes and, and loves them, which... um. Mm-hmm. Which are, which are drugs and are very bad for you and do um, physically um, like you know kill you from the inside. <laughs> so uh-huh. um, it's it's like 
that but uh his and, whole and coffee is a drug for that matter as well hell yeah it is yeah exactly um but i think the you know depiction of like the seedy underbelly um and this like like you mentioned i think you used the phrase physical decrepitude which i liked a lot um and using that to sort of like like represent um like evil or negativity um i think it just works really well especially because like you know he didn't he didn't put like he didn't put like a like an eighth of pot and then like a game cigar and uh <laughs> and then like maybe like a Budweiser it's like no it's like really like nondescript pills and wouldn't it be wild the, if David Lynch was just like a total reefer madness guy and he just like hated weed maybe maybe that's why uh what's his name Jerry Horn is insane <laughs> and uh because <laughs> he smoked all that reefer but uh. I think that it just her uh her skin too and like the abrasions on her skin and her hair and like the way she lights her cigarette with that torch it's yeah it's the crack it's the crackhead torch for sure yeah yeah it's like but even just the way she lights it it's like she lights the first like half an inch (laughs) of the cigarette on fire it's just like i noticed that too yeah yeah it's crazy and um you know obviously we'll see some more characters later on that are struggling with some drugs uh namely steven i think mm-hmm. um and there's also that weird booth scene with sky ferrera where she's like a junkie with bad teeth who has that rash going on i think that's also supposed to be like um an indictment of drugs as well yeah there's um, another shade of this same kind of uh th- this same theme whatever it is yeah uh, yeah i think i think david lynch he probably just let, you know getting back to the, uh, the the TM business like you mentioned before. I think that he probably he probably just views mind altering drugs, at least drugs on that level, as being sort of like a a distorting influence. You know, right? But that's my guess. Yeah, right. It's probably more like an impediment to enlightenment rather than a path to enlightenment. I suppose. Um, right. Then we get another comedy scene here with hawk andy and lucy which is introduced by the wonderful door sign do not disturb uh which people really latched onto i'm sure somebody is selling those on etsy as we speak so yeah we get an extremely long scene here (laughs) that uh i i have mixed feelings about to be honest with you um it's I struggle a little bit with Andy and Lucy in general on this show. I, I feel like more so than the other characters from from the original run, they just seem like they have been plopped into an infrastructure that no longer has a place for them. I, I don't know. Just At least that's the way I feel during some of these comedy moments because I just feel like a lot of it doesn't come off as well. I don't know if it's because we don't get the same, you know, Angelo Badalamenti music underplaying it. Maybe mm-hmm. that would have helped to sort of soften the blow a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of mixed on this scene. How do you feel about it? I'm not uh I'm not I don't have any negative feelings towards it. I think it's consistent with with the pacing of a lot of the comedy throughout the the return and it's 
it's also you know it's similar to the other scene that you weren't so much of a fan of from part one uh with the with the ruth davenport's apartment and the and that lady and her tiny dog um but it has this like very re- repetitive com- uh comedic timing where you know like lucy telling her uh her gas bubble story it's just like you like ha- there's no one who didn't suffer through that i don't think but uh some of it uh, some of it seemed almost to me like similar to to Dougie in that it's very slow and uh, and and drawn out, and even like the 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 funniness of it is drawn out, and um, the punchlines last longer than they should. I don't know if that was maybe consistent with the with that commentary on reboots it's like now we're back in twin peaks and like yeah here's andy and uh lucy acting goofy and ridiculous but doesn't it seem weird uh doesn't Mm -hmm. it seem out of place um isn't it isn't there something missing Mm -hmm. um and that is why the whole the whole reason that they're there because something is missing right um yeah i and, and then obviously the the it's not about the bunny uh whole whole bit um, I was a fan of that. I, mm-hmm. I, that the is it about the bunny? It's not about the bunny. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's just because I, I I think Hawk is a a really awesome character, and I was happy to see him utilized, um, in in some cool ways this season. Yeah, you know I love Hawk, and I actually do really like the uh, it's not about the bunny bit. You know, I, I think that the timing on that is actually really good. Like it's not about the bunny. <laughs> is it about the bunny? Like, I, I appreciate that whole thing, but like, you know, something is missing, but if it's missing, this is here. And this yeah. is missing. Like, I just, it just didn't really land for me that well. And the bit with the gas bubble, I, I'm just, I, I'm out. I'm out on that. <laughs> I don't, don't really need that. Like, I, we could have just sufficed with Lucy eating the the chocolate bunny and then the whole line of questioning about like is it true that you know hawk you're an indian and is it true that indigenous people use chocolate to to relieve gas or whatever she says it's like it's like uh i don't i don't need all that so yeah for whatever reason um that's what lucy is like this season (laughs) like when she she said the same thing with the insurance guy uh she kind of repeats herself a bunch of times and you know oh which like which which uh sheriff truman because uh, it could be important yeah it, it's like she's never never speaks clearly always speaking in circles and um but yeah, yeah she seems she seems quite a bit more ditzy i would say this season like yeah she was always kind of that way in the original run but she always seemed a little bit more um it always seemed a little more competent. Same with Andy. And it really seems like in this season, um, a lot of that has just sort of been dumbed down. And now they're just sort of these, like, I don't know, just like these, like, impossibly flighty comic devices. Um, and they they do actually surprisingly play a major role in the plot later uh, right. in ways that I, I do appreciate, but... Yeah, just a lot of the a lot of the the comedic stylings of of Andy and Lucy in the season are just just fall fall a little flat for me. Um, even if there are elements of it, like I said, that I do appreciate. 
So yeah, then we, we uh, get a quick check-in with uh, Dr. Jacoby here, where we find out that he has just a, a whole apparatus that he's built for painting these shovels gold. <laughs> um, like he's just like he's got like pedals. It looks like I don't know. Like it's it's just like pedals that and like a pulley system that he's developed to help him paint these shovels. It's a very very specific thing. It's uh, very satisfying to watch. It for is me at least. <laughs> it is the turning the spraying. The yeah. movement, the turning, spraying. Yeah, I enjoy it. And he's very thorough, you know, like he's getting the whole handle as well. You know, he's he's doing a great job. And uh, we're just, we're building up to Dr. Amp. From there, we arrive at the Silver Mustang Casino. And this whole sequence here with Cooper getting jackpots over and over again. This, honestly, this is my favorite sequence of the entire show. This, this, you think this yeah, one? This is my favorite. Yeah, this whole this whole bit with the silver Mustang here. I just think that the mix of, like I mentioned earlier, just like real genuine pathos and just outrageous slapstick comedy is just absolutely brilliant. Like it, it's just it's just everything that I love about Dougie in particular, and about a lot of this show just wrapped into one. I just I think it's so good. <laughs> it has uh it has this vibe to it that I didn't see coming, especially since, you know, that episode the first time around goes a lot of different places, especially since it starts you off in the mob zone and you go through all this craziness and then you're you're you deal with uh you know the the switch between the coopers and all that. Then when you finally get this, it's like, okay, here's this here's cooper now like what's he gonna do and uh, apparently he's just gonna fucking bankroll and uh and shout hello um and then help out this 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 uh this decrepit old lady help her get some scratch too mm-hmm. yeah i just i think it's really fascinating the way that lynch and frost equate cooper somebody here with like like somebody who's older or who's sick or just somebody who's ripe for being taken advantage of by an institution like a casino when he walks up to give his five dollar bill to the change lady he he gives her the dollar bill and she asks him like do you want change and he just says call for help and she just has no reaction to that even though he's clearly somebody who isn't right you know she just he has money so she just takes his money and gives him his change. And, you know, just the fact that he's able to sort of walk through the floor of this casino undisturbed just because of the fact that he has money. You know, and then later he meets with the floor manager, played by Sabrina Sutherland in a nice little cameo, uh, executive producer of Twin Peaks. And uh, he tells her again, call for help. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring you a bucket to, to haul out all this money. You know, it's like... He's so clearly right. in need of help, but no one is there to help him. That's and, interesting. I never read it that way. Yeah. And That's cool. <laughs> you know, and then again, we just get like just the absolutely amazing comedy of him just screaming hello <laughs> at, <laughs> at the slot machines because that's what he saw one guy do and so therefore that's what he thinks you're supposed to do anytime you pull a slot machine you just gotta you just gotta say hello and, <laughs> and it uh, works. 
and yeah it really does work um yeah it's it's just uh, the way that the dramatic bits interplay with the comedic bits here i just find just just absolutely brilliant there's the moment where he walks in and you know shows his five dollars to the to the the cop detail or or whatever it was and he says call for help and he mm-hmm. just points to the change machine um and then as he's walking away uh that guy just screams like hey and you know similar to like what you were saying or to your point about how like there's clearly something wrong with this guy um in the tone of the voice where he screams hey uh you expect that he's going to say something negative but instead he just corrects his directions like no you need to go over mm-hmm. there you're gonna need some change so or sorry he points him to the back of the of the place to call for help and then he's like you're gonna need some change mm-hmm. um, but it's this sort of yeah almost hinting at like yeah he shouldn't really be allowed to be walking around here there's clearly some some issue with him but like you're saying it it, it even goes into how everyone treats dougie um dougie clearly has something wrong with him that not many people uh can put their finger on apparently yeah i mean he has all the trappings the external trappings of, of having it all together you know he's sort of a he's in a he's in a really nice suit and you know he's got a slick haircut and he just seems like a guy who uh belongs you know much like he does at his job um which is is part of the i think we're just supposed to read into it. that's part of the reason why nobody really questions Dougie. It's like sort of um it's like sort of a, a comment on materialism, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so like we mentioned a little bit before, he is being guided somehow by the lodge to hit all these jackpots. We see sort of um I don't know what you would call it. It's just like a little tiny <laughs> it looks like a like it's just like a clip art version of the red room. Yeah, exactly. It's a tiny little um, zigzag with a tiny little red curtain. Yeah, and it's like it's like like shimmering, almost like a uh, you know like a grill on a summer day while you're cooking. You get that heat shimmer. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, he just goes around and uh, he, he says his his, his catchphrase and uh, he gets the money. And uh, I like there's a guy that comes up to him after the first time he does it and he just goes uh, he goes you broke that one broke it real good and uh apparently that guy is like from walking dead <laughs> i don't know oh, really yeah like just 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 doing a little bit of research i found that out and that's actually uh a thing that happens a lot on this show is that a lot of the people who are on screen for like two seconds are actually like pretty well-known actors which is fascinating i think everybody just like wanted an opportunity to to work with lynch on this thing so yeah i wanted a piece of the action yeah so even people who probably wouldn't otherwise accept a role that small just get put into these tiny little roles and i think right. it's it's kind of neat to to try and to try and spot people in that way so what do you make of the name uh silver mustang any thoughts silver mustang um no, I guess I never really, I never really thought that seriously about it. But you know, it's not a real casino, so obviously Lynch and Frost probably had some some purpose behind it. But I never really thought about it. Do you, do you have some idea about it? I thought it might have some relationship to the white horse or like a pale horse or um, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I I totally never even thought about that. Yeah, it's that's a good yeah. That's that's as good a guess as any. 
I don't know why, you know, what the significance of that is, but if they did name it that, I don't know. It's it's oddly uh oddly similar. Yeah, yeah, it's pr- probably not a coincidence. Yeah. So from there, we are reintroduced to Gordon and Albert. We cut to Philadelphia and we see that the two of them are working on a case. And <laughs> The clues are laid out in front of them, and it's just sort of a random assortment of objects. It's like uh, a couple pictures of bikini-clad women, a gun, and a jar of beans. (laughs) To which Gordon uh, responds, The Congressman's Dilemma! (laughs) And I don't think it has anything to do with anything. I think it's just supposed to be like a funny little absurd reintroduction to to gordon and albert yeah i think so too but i i goddamn loved it (laughs) perfect i was i can't even tell you how excited i was to to see david lynch back in this role and he he just absolutely kills it this season i thought yeah the way he manages to be a um a very compelling character within the story uh yeah it it impressed me a lot um because watching him on the in, in season two uh it works it's it's uh but it's there's a different air to it it has more of i think more of a on your on the nose comedic approach mm-hmm. um but him in this season just the way he he dances between being just absolutely hilarious but also kind of gut-wrenching and very emotional um and almost yeah. at some points like very detached as a character from from maybe the character that you you've seen before um, I was really, I I was really impressed with with it, and just his acting skills in general. Uh, yeah. just very, very calm, very relaxed. Yeah, he's definitely grown as an actor since season two, and um, he does have some genuinely touching moments with Albert. I think in this series, mm-hmm. um, especially one that uh, we're gonna see next episode. And yeah, I was really shocked at just the sheer amount of screen time that Gordon Cole gets in the series. Like David Lynch is probably the second lead on the show behind Kyle McLaughlin, right? I think so. Or he's he's the character that I put most of my trust into with respect to solving the mystery. Like, yeah. when he was on screen, uh, I mean, I paid attention the whole time, but when Gordon Cole was on screen, I knew that there was something to be paid attention to because he was, um, just as a character, firing on all cylinders for me. Yeah, and we're going to find out later on that he's actually a little bit more plugged in to the goings of the lodge and, and Philip Jeffries and all that, which is, which is pretty interesting. Um, he, he's more plugged into that than we, we suspect at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, we are introduced to a pretty controversial character. I would say Tammy mm-hmm. Preston. Yeah. I, I have mixed feelings about Tammy. I gotta say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, her delivery Especially in this scene, very, uh, I don't know, very like CSI. <laughs> yeah, she's, we'll talk about those issues as they come up. Um, for now, she shows him and Albert photos of the glass box murders in New York. To which Gordon responds, what the hell? <laughs> and uh, that has sort of become a meme, a meme machine. Oh in, yes! In the coming months, if you go on YouTube, there's uh, <laughs> you can you can really have a field day 
with uh, with with Gordon Cole memes here, whether it be James performing "Just You" or <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or what have you. Um, I have to go down that rabbit hole soon. Yeah, I've, I've I've found a few pretty good ones. So yeah, and then this scene is interrupted when Gordon gets a call about Special Agent Dale Cooper, which shocks him understandably because cooper has been gone for quite some time as we know so they go into his office where we see a really nice bit of foreshadowing here with the atomic bomb in the background Mm -hmm. which uh is really neat uh and then on the other side of his office is uh david lynch fave franz kafka that's who the uh the portrait is there right the atomic bomb at the time was for me another nod uh to a racer head because there's the he has the atomic bomb sure uh, framed picture i mean like the first time i saw this like that's i think another reason why this episode in particular has always given me some eraser head vibes right yeah yeah i, to- I totally forgot about the eraser head connection there too that's good um yeah and then we get some really <laughs> some really silly comedy here dealing with gordon's inability to hear things i I forget i i didn't write down the exact jokes here but i think there's a joke that i think we're meant to connect the word serious with serious radio um and then albert says like uh we're gonna see mount rushmore and gordon's like it's good you want to (laughs) hurry yeah 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 yeah, something like that and uh, we're we're gonna get a lot of those, most of which I I really enjoy. Yeah, I think the timing on them are, is always uh, right on point, and the interplay between David Lynch and Miguel Ferreira uh, or those characters it's it's uh, it works. It works more often than not. Yeah, and I think it's just the fact that it's David Lynch doing these incredibly silly jokes and just totally selling them is is what mm-hmm. endears them to me more than anything else, probably. Definitely. So yeah, uh, this scene, as most episodes in the series will, ends on um, ends in the roadhouse where we see the cactus blossoms performing Mississippi, um, sort of an uncharacteristically country tinged little jam. Um, I think it's fine. It's it's not my favorite, but it's it's pretty nice. I like the stand up bass. It's pretty cool. I love it. I actually I love this album. They have that they put out it's called um you're dreaming really and yeah and i don't know maybe it's just i i like that um i'm a big fan of like la country and like graham parsons and the birds like that era of the birds and um a lot of the more like um i guess hip country of the of the 70s and i think that's sort of where the cactus blossoms draw a lot of inspiration um so like I really I and I also just really love the uh the demeanor of it like that the, they have like the the Everly Brothers kind of vocal harmonies but then right. it also has this very reverby swaying sadness to it um that I don't know, and, anytime you've got like a, a reverb heavy sound it there's probably like you probably increases your chances of, by like 90% of David Lynch enjoying your music probably yeah and i think and when you have a pedal st- or a, a yeah pedal steel guitar with reverb um like you do on that track it has uh, i don't know it was one of it was one of my favorites of actually of the of the uh, roadhouse performances hmm. 
yeah I, I enjoy it it's um it's definitely an outlier from a lot of the yeah. the stuff that we we see in the roadhouse i think it's safe to say that lynch definitely has he has a certain aesthetic that he really gravitates toward gravitates towards like i said sort of like these reverby like these reverbed out guitar sort of like female fronted mm-hmm. melancholy he has a certain vibe yeah and this is this is kind of a nice nice departure from that that pretty much does it for part three like i said great episode yeah so if you want to get a hold of us you can do so at 119 podcast on twitter you can email us at 119 podcast at gmail.com you can find me specifically at strenuous orb on twitter and you can find dylan at piff dylan if i remember correctly. Whoop, whoop. that's it yeah p-i-f-f dylan so yeah uh we really look forward to hearing from you guys uh, we hope you'll join us next time. Thanks. Later.